Welcome to Cretech Climate Cast, a podcast series devoted to educating, inspiring, and leading the built world to address the world's biggest crisis, climate change. I'm your host, Michael Beckerman, CEO of Cretech Climate, the leading voice for the real estate industry's commitment to climate tech. Join me each week for 20 minutes as we connect with the world's leading real estate and tech innovators from VCs, real estate companies, academic and nonprofit sectors. Thanks for tuning in and I hope you enjoy the show. Hey everybody, it's Michael Beckerman. Welcome to another episode of my podcast, Cretech Climate Cast, where I talk to real estate professionals who are leading the way in decarbonizing the built world and the race to net zero. In this climate journey that I've been on, one of the things that's incredibly apparent to me is that in this instance, in terms of a tech adoption and investment, we're going to need the industry's largest companies to lead the way. This is not something we have, obviously, the time to organically uh, wait for the entire industry to organize and galvanize itself. This one's going to have to be top-down because there's a few real estate companies that have such an impact and such power and, and control so much real estate and investment. On today's podcast, I'm really, really thrilled that we've got Laura Kraft, who is the global strategy and investment on ESG focus at Heitman LLC on the podcast. And for those that don't know Laura, she's absolutely considered one of the leading thought leaders, strategists in this race to net zero. She's been at it for a while before many, many of us have. And we're going to talk about her experience, her background, her role, and some of the things she's seeing in the marketplace today. And hopefully will give us some hope about um, this race to net zero. So Laura, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for spending some time with me today. Yeah. Thanks for having me on. There's a lot to cover. You know, when we think <laughs> about net zero, it's it's something that's new terminology, but the, the race is on. Um, you know, investment managers are committing to net zero and you need a pathway, you need to be able to get there and investment managers need to show that they're committed to the cause. So I'm at Heitman, so a real estate investment manager. We have over 50 billion in assets under management. And I know I planted the seed, I think in 2019 to my senior leadership saying, hey, we need to think about net zero. And it really wasn't being talked about in the real estate world very much. Um, and so in 2020, um, we made the calculations, we did all the things we needed to do, and we were able to commit to net zero by 2030. That's for our carbon operations. Because when we think about net zero, it's about the operations of our build- building um, is one component. There's another component, which is embodied carbon, which has more to do with the development and construction side of it. But our commitment is around the operational scope of our carbon emissions. That's great. And it, for, for those that are listening, I hope they heard that correctly, 50 billion in assets. So when I talk about that, we need the leaders in the, you know, whether it's the ownership, asset management, investment management, development space, construction space, it's clearly, it's companies like Heitman that are, are leading the way and making a big impact. So it's great that you're on the podcast and Appreciate all your advocacy of these issues. So if we take a step back, Laura, I'd love to just, you know, you've been at this for a while. Before Heitman, you were at, I believe, LaSalle Investment Management, another massive investment management firm. How would you kind of characterize, Laura, like where we're at 
today. I mean, you've been at this for a while. And you said 2019, and that feels like 100 years ago. Where are we today in, in sort of your journey? What are you finding in the marketplace today that gives you either hope or, or what have you? You know, I have a lot more hope. When I've been in investment management for about 16 years, a little over, and I did not start in ESG or sustainability. I started on, you know, valuation, asset management side of the business. And I just had a keen interest in lead certifications and got my lead AP. And I remember my portfolio manager at the time said, you know, that's that's great. You'll probably never use it, but that's great. And then it was about a year or two later. We were piloting our first lead certification. I had my accredited professional certificate in lead. And so I got put on the project. One property turned into 50 um, properties uh, going through the certification. And then it went beyond just um, building certifications to what does a global investment manager do when it comes to sustainability and environmental efficiency? So I kind of got in on the ground floor and helped build LaSalle's program globally. And then, you know, I've been at Heitman for about six years and have done the same, um, seen us move tremendously um, progressing in ESG. So if I think about the rise of ESG, I think about um, two pivot points, two monumental points, which were the global financial crisis. That's when real estate investors were not trading assets. So we had to increase valuations through net operating income. And what do you do? You try to reduce your costs, reduce your expenses, and that's where sustainability really rose to the top. Because if you can be energy efficient, then you can increase your NOI, um, drive the bottom line. So that's, I think, the rise of E was really during after the global financial crisis. And now we're moving into this time of, um, you know, kind of hopefully post-COVID, but COVID really shone a, shone a light on um, the sustain are the social aspects of the building, so the healthy building aspect, um, because you can have an energy efficient building, but if it's not safe and healthy from a occupant perspective or a visitor perspective, then they might not enter that building. Um, and so we're we're seeing this huge rise of the the social component, and even you know thinking beyond just buildings, it's about um, employees as well, because you have this great resonation as well that you know employees have more power now than they ever did. Um, because there is this labor shortage. So this is why, you know, ESG is, is on the rise. And you could some could say that governance has always been very important, especially if you are someone investing in a listed company. You want to know how that company is run. You want to know about bribery, corruption, everything of the sorts, uh, transparency in order for you to feel like there isn't risk involved in investing in that particular fund or that particular stock or company. Um, so that's where, you know, ESG is really on the rise. And I think it's, we have a more aware investor today than we used to have. Yeah, that's great to hear. It's encouraging. If you wouldn't mind, just also like unpack for us a little bit about like the Heitman culture, because that's something that's also really interesting to me, at least. And, and in a lot of the conversations I have with people, which is that I've been focused on getting the real estate industry to embrace technology for the past you know, number of years. And that's slow to get that kind of adoption because you don't really see the ROI just yet in a lot of these tools and what have you. Then you go to ESG and you say, well, what's going to motivate these real estate companies to embrace these investments, these strategies and what have you? I mean, yes, it's got to be ROI. Yes, it's got to be risk mitigation. But I would hope a lot of it is also cultural too. Sort of how does the company and the leadership think about ESG and why it's important to them? That's a 
great question. And I think it's something that everyone should be asking is what is the company culture around ESG? You're not going to move forward unless the top is bought into the idea. Um, and I would say very much that Heitman is on board with it. Uh, we understand the, the risk of, of ESG and also the opportunities of it. Um, so we take it very seriously. It is embedded into all that we do. We're not a big believer that we have this huge ESG department. We're a believer that ESG is baked back into the front lines of our business. Um, you know, our acquisitions team, our investment professionals are the ones making the day-to-day -day decisions. They need to be the ones that are equipped to make those decisions on ESG as well. Um, so what I do is I do a lot of teaching and training in the various departments of our company to bring them up to skill on or up to speed on the, the one or two items that they should include into their daily routine or into their daily decision making um, that they do. And so we have that embedded in with climate risk in particular. Um, climate risk is something that we identified a few years ago that, you know, insurance really doesn't have our back. It's a one year policy and we're investing for longer than one year. Is insurance going to be there in year seven? And insurance protects us against damage, but it doesn't protect us against loss in value or perceived value that investors could view a market as riskier and thus want to pay less for it. Or populations could move. And again, you have less demand, which again will impact the price of that property. And so we realized that we really needed to own climate risk within our portfolio and be able to model it or at least price it in as best uh, as we can. That's great. I think that's so important to hear about the leadership and then the teaching and the training uh, so that it really, it's not sort of one of the things that I see or that I, I try and sort of uncover is where, and I'm not saying that in any way this is this case, you know, where there's greenwashing in the marketplace and you see a lot of the, P, it's a lot of coming from PR and I get it. And, but, you know, this is, these are, these are table stakes. These are, issues for the future generations. Yeah. But like for us now. And so that's why it's so important to understand how, how does the company come up with a plan like, you know, a net zero by 2030? Like, how do you do that? And I went through the plan and I studied it. A lot of it's over my head, but I'd love for you to talk about because it's real. And I know that there's real sort of measurements and goals and accountability. So could you walk us through the, this net zero 2030 plan? Yeah, absolutely. And I think the first step is breaking down what does net zero mean, you know, um, because our goal is net zero carbon operations. So it's not net zero energy, which means that, you know, essentially zero energy. Um, you know, we're net zero carbon, meaning that the, our properties are still going to be using energy, but we hope that our reliance will be more on renewable energy, which produce, you know, zero carbon emissions. So again, it's identifying that our goal is a net zero carbon operations. Um, and then furthermore is what is that pathway to get there? And I can't say that we came up with it on our own, but we came up with it with a group of investment managers um, with ULI Greenprint. So ULI Greenprint has on their website the pathway to get there. And it's a, really a four-step pathway. It's number one, reducing energy um, at the property. So developing a plan at each asset to reduce energy. Um, two, it's investigating on-site renewables, whether you can install solar on your properties um, to, again, produce renewable energy on-site. Um, the third would be buying um, green power through your utility company. A lot of utility companies are um, uh, installing or, or having more renewable energy as part of their grid power 
Um, so being able to say, okay, when you're selecting your, your energy in, in these deregulated markets, you as a consumer can choose what your energy mix is. And so choosing that renewable energy mix from the, renew from the utility provider. Um, three, it's electrification. I'm trying to electrify the building as much as possible. And then for the last, and um, you know, hopefully you don't have to use last resort is buying renewable energy credits, which is really to offset your natural gas or your scope one emissions at your property. Yeah, that's great. And I encourage everybody to to go find the report on your website and what have you, and the ULI climate mitigation and real estate investment decision making report. And you know, we're big fans of the ULI green print as well. And one of the things that I also wanted to ask you about is like how important is that collaboration with your peers, like ULI and other investment managers, and how how that kind of helps you and helps the industry overall. You know, it's really important. And funny you should ask about it. We. Um, just went through a year process with the reporting standards. So that's NACREF and PREA saying, you know, what are the what are the ESG guidelines of reporting? Um, and so what we did, and it was a team of LPs and GPs, there's going to be an article coming out in NACREF's quarterly, and then I think a reprint maybe in PREA. Um, but what it does is it, it lists the journey of us assessing all the frameworks out in the industry. And then what is most appropriate, we, we put forward guidelines on you know, if you're a small investment manager, how should you be reporting? Or if you're a larger investment manager, how should you be reporting? What's the ro most robust way? And as part of this, there are KPIs, ESG KPIs that you can reference and use. Um, so we're hoping that this can help a lot of investment managers, especially the smaller investment managers, the ones who don't have a lot of resources or the ones that, um, you know, maybe not fit into some of these other reporting standards that are out there that they can utilize. And so it's very much um, important for um, companies such as Heitman to work with the industry. You know, I think that, you know, since I was in the investment management side before I got into the ESG sustainability side, you know, uh, the investment side is much more competitive. When you move over to the ESG side, we're all in this together. We all want to lower carbon. Uh, so we're very collective. And I think it's really important that we work together. That's great. No, I could uh, absolutely. I, I sense that, and those that I've talked to at Marta Chance at uh, ULI and Greenprint, and so many of your other colleagues, it's such a collaborative because I think you all recognize that you know this is not a winner takes all. This is like everybody's in this together, and so it's so critical. I'd love to also, Lord, just get your thoughts on the climate mitigation risk and how, like an investment manager approaches climate risk when you do have a longer term horizon, given all of these climate crises that are happening all around the world today. And I know, you know, your assets are North America, Europe, Middle East, APAC. How do you think about sort of climate mitigation risk? And what do you, what do you do about it? Yeah, you know, so climate risk, there's only two risks. There's the physical risk, and then there's a the transition risk. So the physical risk is based on the location of the asset. You know, is the asset exposed to flooding risk, sea level rise, heat stress, water stress, typhoon, hurricane, wildfire, you name it. Um, and then the transition risk, which is the carbon risk. And uh, we have done three reports with UI focused on real estate and climate risk investment decision-making. We just released our third report last week. Uh, so our first report really focused on how do you understand how much risk climate risk is within your portfolio. Um, the second report went through how do you assess markets for risk and that mitigation resiliency of that market. So how, you know, you may have a property that's not at risk, but it's in a market that's at risk. 
And so that market risk is going to, is going to impact your property. Um, and so it's, it's understanding how are these markets positioning themselves for resilience. And then our latest report is on climate migration. So how are populations moving in response to climate? Um, moving or not moving. And, you know, so we assessed our invest, investment manager peers to understand what are the best practices out there. Um, you know, what we see is that we're still in early days. People don't okay. quite know that methodology. Um, but what this report does is we do put forward a methodology that, you know, you first need to understand, you know, is the market at risk? What's the resiliency? What's the infrastructure in place or the local government to address the risk in the, that location? What's the economic fundamentals? So it's not just about, you know, the risk and the, the resiliency, but it's also about the strength, the economic strength of that market um, to help protect it. So if you look at New York versus New Orleans, they fared very differently after events. And I think a lot of that has to do with the economic strength of those markets. Mm. Um, and again, that will kind of help dictate whether migration and population movements could occur. It's such a fascinating conversation where I could go on. I could, I got probably an hour's worth of questions on that because I've I had Parag Khanna on, on the podcast and Parag is a global thought leader on the climate risk and migration and how that all sort of collides and the impact on real estate. And I know you're not a portfolio manager anymore, but so just to understand how Heitman's thinking about this, like, are you, is the team actually making decisions today? on investment strategies, given this sort of the climate risk in these various locations? I mean, is this already entering the conversation internally on the investment side? Absolutely. So we screen and score every single asset. Um, we use Moody's ESG solutions. And so we understand what is the risk profile of that particular location. Um, and then we further do an analysis of the market, the market level risk and resiliency. And, you know, if we do decide to proceed with that asset, we do further due diligence. So we could be talking to local engineering, local experts to understand what are the plans in place to help um, fund either, um, infrastructure resiliency um, or help mitigate the risk. Um, additionally, beyond just the property level risk and the market level risk, we are looking at portfolio level risk. Mm -hmm. So how much of the portfolio is exposed to, for instance, sea level rise or to hurricanes? Mm -hmm. And then. Um, so that's at the locational side of things. And we're going through another analysis right now of how much of the portfolio has mitigates in place. And so what is that real risk after you calculate in the building level um, mitigation efforts? So for instance, if you have a property that's exposed to flood risk, that property may be elevated above a um, that flood zone. So the property itself may not be at risk. So it's, it's mitigated against it. So, you know, it's important to know just the locational risk and then also the building level risk um, within the portfolio. Well, we're going to amplify that to the real estate audience, that the global real estate audience that we have, because I, that's really important for everybody to hear that this is entering the investment uh, decision-making process today. And for a company like Heitman, which everybody knows, and you know, is such a global uh, respected leader, that that's, that's a powerful statement. The other thing I'd love to just get your thoughts on. So, you know, most companies, no other company has a Laura Kraft, you know, heading ESG for, for them. And it's wonderful. And this is the, the other part that gives me such inspiration in this race to net zero is that you're publishing so much. You're making your playbook available for anybody to go look at. For those companies that do not have the resources of Heitman and have a, have a Laura Kraft on their team, is there any suggestions about how a real estate company, an owner, developer, investment manager or something, 
could start to get started and approach all these issues that we talked about? Yeah, absolutely. So the reporting standards, um, so that's NAICRIF PREA, ESG guidelines of reporting, um, that's a great place to go to of, you know, what are investors looking to um, gather from their investment managers? It's a great guide. If you can go through that and answer all the questions, you're good. You know, another resource would be joining, you know, ULI Greenprint or these other associations, because a lot of times I know in the early days, I felt like it was my therapy session. <laughs> you have ESG professionals and we all have the same issues that we're up against. And so we got to, you know, share how we're going through and solving these problems that we're all facing and in our investment companies. That's great. We should form like a therapy set. I definitely need the therapy. Trust me. I definitely need the therapy. Um, two other questions for you. When you think about what the next five years looks like, you know, what are some of the things that are in your mind, either new initiatives or whether they're technology solutions that are out there that are exciting you? We've looked back. We've talked about today. What's coming? What are we looking at in the next five years? You know, I think there's going to be more renewable energy. So more solar, wind, battery. I get really excited excited about battery power, um, at least being that being a storage. Um, you know, I think beyond that, it's, it's focused on embodied carbon. Um, so a lot of the real estate carbon emissions actually come from the development and construction of the assets. And so we're looking at the materials, the building materials, concrete. It's looking about looking at the transportation to the building construction site. Um, so that supply chain embodied carbon is going to be a key focus. Um, I think it's a really hard one to address right now because you can't look at a building that was built in 1970 and say what the embodied carbon is. Um, it's almost impossible. And so it's going to be something that we have to do on a go forward basis. Right. <laughs> there isn't quite that methodology in place yet. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. So finally, I mean, the big question, right? You know, the real estate industry responsible for 40% of all greenhouse gas emissions, both operating and embodied, like you so well articulated. And you've been at this for a while. And as I said, you're, you're absolutely one of the top professionals devoted to ESG in the world of real estate investment management. How do we get the real estate industry to pay more attention to what's happening in terms of its impact on climate and ESG? How do we incentivize them to follow your lead? Are you hopeful we can get it done in the time that we need? I mean, your first comment I think you made was, it's right, it's about race to net zero. So how are we going to do this? Are you hopeful? I am hopeful. If you think about it, Heitman didn't commit to net zero until 2020. Now you look at all of the real estate companies that have committed to net zero, there's a group of, you know, if the conversation is accelerating so fast, do we need to have, um, you know, shorter term goals or do we need to be more inclusive or with how we're calculating the carbon emissions? And so I think that um, real estate investors that don't have a goal, you know, or could be seen as left behind now. And I wouldn't say that five years ago. Um, so I think that the pace of change is changing so rapidly that investment managers really do need to have a goal. And if they don't have a goal, they need to say when they're going to put a goal in place. Yeah, that's great. I, and I could tell you're hopeful. And uh, it, 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 it alleviates my stress, my anxiety. So this was a very good therapy session for me. But you know, when I think about all of these external forces that are converging on this industry, you know, whether it's government investors, regulatory, underwriters, insurance, tenants, residents. I just hope that they're listening, you know, that they're paying attention to this coming, uh, bad pun, the storm 
that's converging on this industry. So I think they are. You have a more aware investor these days. I would say, you know, investors, we're in the information age where it used to be the art of the deal, who could figure out, you know, how to value a building and, and get that return. Now, all of that information, the financial statements are out there. And so it's a level playing field. So how do you differentiate yourself? It's the ESG metrics. It's, it's how you're, you're creating that return. And investors care more and more about not just getting that return, but how you're doing it, how you're doing it through the lens of ESG. And so I absolutely have hope. If you look at, you know, the ESG funds are, you know, are listed on the market today, it's, it's, you know, explosive. So I don't see that going away. That's great. That's great. Well, Laura Kraft, uh, head of ESG at, at Heitman, thank you so much for your, all of your leadership and all the hard work that you're doing. You're making a huge impact. And I invite the audience to follow you on LinkedIn, go to Heitman's website, look at some of these reports that you've published with ULI and others. And there's just so much information that's out there that others can learn from and ultimately get inspired by as I am. Thank you so much for your time and all your wonderful, wonderful work uh, in this race to net zero, Laura. Yeah, thank you for having me. If you want to hear more about top industry trends, please hit subscribe and join us on this journey to reimagine real estate. If you've enjoyed listening to this week's episode, please be sure to give us a five-star rating and share this podcast with your friends and colleagues. To stay up to date on leading climate tech trends and topics, join the Cretech Climate Community by clicking the link in our bio. Thanks for tuning in, and we look forward to having you join us next week.